Hey, Javon, I feel a little hot up here. Yeah. Not like temperature-wise, but, you know. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, this morning, uh, before we get started, what I would like to do is just pray for us. Uh, I believe that God has something powerful that he wants to impart or give to every single one of us this morning, and we need to hear from him. Uh, If I speak and all you hear is from me, then this is a giant waste of time. Uh, We need to hear from God. And and that includes myself, too. Even though I'm the person who's up here speaking, I also want to hear from God. I know that he can speak to every single one of us here this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much just for this opportunity to get together and proclaim your goodness, who you are. God, your faithfulness to, uh, faithfulness to us. God, I thank you that we just have such an opportunity to worship you this morning. God, I pray right now for every single person in this room that you would speak to their hearts, God, that it wouldn't just be a word received, God, but that it would change the very way that they think, the way, very way that they live. God, the way, the way that they view who you are in their lives. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you're going to do this morning. In your name, amen. All right, well, we have been tracking along in a series. Uh, last week was actually the very first week of our series, The Cross. Uh, and Jonathan gave a message about Christ dying for our sins. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue that trend and talk a little bit more about how the cross not only just uh, is Christ dying for our sins, but ultimately it's restoring relationships not only between God, but between everybody uh, here who experiences who he is. And so we're not worshiping just the cross. We're not worshiping just an inanimate object. The cross is symbolic of ultimately what Christ did for every single one of us. It's a, it's a form, as Jonathan talked about last week, of capital punishment. And for Christianity to use the form of capital punishment as its symbol is kind of ironic. You wouldn't think of that as being the natural or normal thing to do. But it's so powerful in what it represents for every single one of us. And we're going to dig into that this morning. But in order to do that, uh, I want to uh, take a little bit of a look back and understand more of the the context behind the cross, behind why Christ even had to come in the first place. Um, So let's look at the context here. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, So death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin is something that permeates the very being of who we are. And so ultimately, the death that we experience, not just physical, but spiritual death, is separation from God as a result. That in our broken state, in our fallen state, we are sinners, we are totally helpless, we cannot reach God on our own. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans. And so what you see is, throughout the Old Testament, uh, prior to Christ's coming, there was uh, this attempt to ultimately draw closer to God after the fall. Uh, And that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, In the Old Testament, during the exodus from Egypt, Moses received the law from God at Mount Sinai, which, uh, here's an interesting fact, God created the world in six days through the word of his voice. He gave the law to Moses in 40. That amount of time is incredibly significant. 
And so uh, it's important for us not to necessarily just gloss over all of the things that were handed down to Moses at that point in time. But one of the things that was uh, of incredible significance and symbolism at that time was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's way of coming amongst his people in uh, the desert. As they were traveling around the desert for 40 years, uh, God essentially came in and was a part of their, their, right in their midst, in the tabernacle, in a room which was called the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant, uh, if you've seen Indiana Jones, you know all about that. And uh, some of the things in that movie are definitely not, uh, you know, I'm, guys melting and everything like that. That's probably not what happened. But uh, in, any, in any case, that's really, uh, that is a really true thing. Like, we, we see the tabernacle as such an example of God's mobility and moving all around Uh, with his people. But there was a danger. At the same time, God living in such close proximity to his people was incredibly dangerous. Uh, And the reason for that, again, goes back to our fallenness and our brokenness. When you have a perfect God coming among imperfect people, that's a a, a recipe for a disaster just waiting to happen. So, uh, in fact, this is even what God says here in Exodus 33, verse 5. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. That's pretty intense, right? Like, okay, uh, God, you want to be among your people, but like, what's the deal? Why do you want to destroy us? It's not that God would want to destroy them. It's that, again, because they're imperfect people in a perfect position, close to a perfect God, that the amount of glory that God has would ultimately consume his people. Uh, so that's, and it's, it's pretty intense just when you look through a lot of the, the Old Testament and you see that. So in order for God to be among his people, there was atonement that was needed. Atonement, what does that word mean? It's a, a pretty deep and rich theological word, uh, but it's real simple. Actually, the word atone means to be at one, right? You just split the word up, it means at one. Uh, more, more further than that, it says to achieve a state of oneness and reconciliation between two parties. So if you think of it like this, there's one person who wrongs another person. The atonement would be the reconciliation between those two parties. Right? So atonement was needed between God and his people. The people who have wronged God and God himself who is perfect. So atonement or reconciliation was needed. And so, in the Old Testament, you see uh, a very ritualistic thing happening, which was called uh, the Day of Atonement. In fact, in in the Jewish tradition, this is called Yom Kippur. Uh, The reason I know this is because when I was a freshman in college, I went to University of Buffalo, and they celebrated all of the Jewish holidays. So, when Yom Kippur came around, it was great because I didn't have to go to class. And, you know, so, so that right there was kind of an opportunity for me to think, like, what, you know, I hear this word, Yom Kippur, what does that actually mean? It is Day of Atonement. And that Day of Atonement was so critical for, for, those, for the nation of Israel every single year. In fact, uh, let's just go through what, was, uh, what happened on the Day of Atonement. Uh, once a year, uh, the high priest, who was God's chosen mediator, he would enter the Holy of Holies, which was this uh, room with the Ark of the Covenant in it, in that room, so that room was actually separated by a giant veil, uh, and I'm not talking about like a, a bed sheet, like it was really thick, very large, a huge veil, it was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, about 4 inches thick, 
There's very, very thick fabric going on right here. So that room was separated by a veil. Once a year, the high priest would enter this room and make atonement for the people of Israel. So here are some of the ritualistic things that he had to go through first before he could even enter into the room. He had to wash himself fully from head to toe, uh, completely. He had to put on special clothing. He had to bring burning incense and let smoke cover his eyes. Because if he saw God's glory, he would die instantly. Um, so he, he couldn't make direct view or direct uh, contact with God. And he had to bring blood with him to make atonement for the sins of the people. So there was a process by which uh, the nation of Israel ultimately made atonement for the sins. The high priest would make atonement for the nation of Israel. Now the veil is really important because the veil was a constant reminder to every single one of these people just the separation between God and his people. That was a very thick, very thick line between God and his people. Entering into the Holy of Holies was something you just did not casually do. If you stumbled into it, you died. That's how intense this was. Now what's interesting about this is that at Jesus' time, uh, some of the, the... the structure of things changed a bit, uh, and by structure I mean physical structure. So rather than uh, worshiping in a tabernacle, which was mobile, they, uh, the Israelites, the people of uh, the Jewish people, they actually worshiped in the temple. And so in the temple, the dimensions were a little bit different. Uh, things were a little bit more ornate, uh, a lot larger in scale. Uh, the veil itself, so the, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and about four inches thick. Uh, I don't know how much that piece of fabric weighs, but I definitely do not even want to uh, guess because that is a lot of fabric. Uh, and it's, it's nothing that, by human standards, we would even be able to... You can't just take a pair of scissors and just cut that thing, okay? Like, you know, how you actually tear into it is incredibly uh, significant. So... But that's actually what we see here uh, in Matthew. In Matthew 27, 50, Jesus says this, or this is what happens in, in Matthew. Jesus shouted out again, and then he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple, so this is the veil that was ultimately separating the presence of God from his people. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart. Top to bottom is significant because that means that the veil was not torn by any human means. There's no way that a person could get 60 feet up in the air to split something. This was torn by God himself. That this was something that God was doing and he was demonstrating ultimately his desire to be among his people by splitting this veil and ultimately making a way for him to be among all of his people. So this This is so significant for us because prior to this, you had to do things just right. There were so many rituals, so many things. Once a year, everybody was always in in the process of being clean before God, always atoning for their sins. Every single year, this process continued and continued and continued. And God said, finally, when my son dies on the cross, all of that is gone. I am coming among you right now. And it was doing away with an entire system where God had to to essentially be among his people in a very traditional and and specific way. 
God was saying, I am now among you. You have complete access to me now at this point. That is so significant for every single one of us. And it's something that I think every single one of us has a tendency of, of even taking advantage of to a degree. You know how uh, sometimes they say familiarity breeds contempt, right? Like that, that idea of just you're so familiar, like you're, the people who hurt you the most are the ones that are the closest to you, right? Like family members or things like that. Sometimes we have a tendency of just normalizing our relationship with God or uh, saying, oh, the cross, that was great. Everything that Christ did for us, oh, that was so awesome. But, you know, really it's, it's more than that. There's so much more to it. It's so significant for every single one of us. And really understanding the weight of it, of God coming and being among his people, the thing that he wanted to do from the very beginning. So, it's incredible when you think about that. So, let's just get to the the nuts and bolts of it. Here's what the cross does. Christ dying on the cross. The cross restores, first and foremost, it restores us. The cross restores us. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. That sounds kind of a redundant thing to say, right? You are a new creation. Creation itself is new, just by the word itself. So, but even God is saying, you're even newer than new. You're completely created brand new as a result of it. So that restoration is something that happens inside of us. It, it changes the very fabric of who we are. You've heard of so many stories of, of people who, when they come to Christ and they say, yes, God, I want all of who you are, something amazing and radical happens in their lives where addictions that they may have had are completely eradicated in a moment's time. There's, there's so many stories of that where people's alcoholisms are cured. Their addictions are completely wiped clean. Whether it's drugs or pornography or alcohol or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. God has the power to do something in a moment's notice. And the thing is, though, there's grace for those things happening in a moment's notice. There are some things that God does inside of us that is long-term. And I don't necessarily understand why that's the case. I think for many of us, there's, there's decisions and God's in the process of restoring us, right? He's in the process of restoring us and teaching us to overcome. And so there isn't necessarily just a complete wipe clean slate. But really what God is doing is he's restoring us. He's restored us and he's restoring us. The second thing, the cross restores our relationship to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-21. I just touched on this a little bit with uh, the veil. But in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That word reconcile also means uh, atonement. You'll see that in a second. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation or atonement. For our sake he made him to be no sin, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This was a verse that Jonathan brought last week and just explaining and showing to us that ultimately our relationship with God is repaired or restored as a result of the cross. God was reconciling. He didn't count trespasses against them. So think about it like this. 
Christ came and lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death that I rightly deserved. And as a result, when the Father was looking at my sin, he didn't look at my sin, he saw Christ instead as a result. That ultimately is reconciliation. That's why God is reconciled to us. Because through his Son, we now have access to the Father. And lastly, our relationship with others. The cross restores our relationship with others. Let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For Christ himself was brought, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So notice what's happening. There's, there's a distinction. Back uh, during this time, in Jewish culture, uh, again, going back through the entire Old Testament, you see that there were so many different rituals that you had to abide by. The Jews were the ones who were considered clean. They were the ones that were God's chosen people. Anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. They were not God's chosen people. They were pagans. They were, they were the outcasts. Okay? They had no access to God. But what is Paul saying here? He brought peace to us. He united. He's united. He's bringing people together. He's uniting Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So not only was God breaking down the wall of hostility between us and God, between us and the Father, he was breaking down the wall of hostility that existed between people. Right here. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups. There's that word reconciliation again. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Collectively, we can come together from different cultures, different peoples, different backgrounds, everything. It doesn't matter where it is that you're from. God ultimately broke down the wall of hostility that was between different peoples and said, I am making you my own people. I am making you my own people if you come to me. That's it. There is no distinction anymore between all of these different people groups. And I want to share a really interesting story. Um, my sister-in-law, a few months ago, uh, she, she accepted Christ, and her story is absolutely incredible. Um, Sawyer, do you have that picture? I'm going to bring it up. Thanks, man. So this is my sister-in-law, uh, Eleanor, and her husband, Nate. Uh, there's a really interesting story. I'm going to share the whole thing with you because every single one of those points that I went through is, is just absolutely nailed in their story. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of incredible, honestly, when, when I heard about it because uh, I, might, I might tear up here. So I apologize in advance. Um, so Eleanor, a few years ago, uh, she lived in Wichita with her family and she was in an abusive relationship 
she decided to move away. She came and moved here to Manhattan uh, and got married to Nate. Uh, Nate was in the military, and part of the reason why she came and got married because she realized, I need to be protected. Uh, the guy who's abusing me, I don't feel like anybody that I'm close to can protect me, and so I'm going to find a really big, buff military guy who, <laughs> when somebody looks at him, they will think twice or three or four times about wanting to do anything to hurt me. So, uh, but most of you probably know that that is not a very good reason to want to get married to somebody. Um, there was a lot of uh, issues in their marriage that they needed to, to work through, and uh, they couldn't. They had issues. Uh, no, neither of them were Christians at the time. Uh, Eleanor one day decided that I don't want to be married anymore. And she moved to Washington, D.C., just totally randomly. Um, so they separated. Uh, they never actually got a divorce, which is kind of important. I'll come back to that at the end of the story. Uh, and over the course of a few years, she started working a great job, moving up in her company, really had everything going for her, and ultimately just felt a sense of emptiness, like, I've got everything I ever wanted. You know, my health is great, my relationships, I love my, my relationships, I have everything, my job is doing awesome, but I still feel this emptiness inside. So she uh, ultimately went in for a job interview to move up in her company. This was probably a couple weeks after she really started you know, sorting through these, these feelings of emptiness. And her employer, sitting down with her, asked her a very straightforward, simple question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And now, okay, the context for that was in the company. But can you see how, if I'm feeling this weight of emptiness inside of me, that is a much deeper question. What kind of legacy am I going to leave? And so... For her, this began a process of uh, very intense investigation. She grew up in a Christian home. She wasn't a Christian. Yes, that can happen. Um, so she wanted to be as objective as she possibly could. So she went and investigated uh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Scientology, Christianity, all of them. And the one distinguishing factor that she felt was unique among Christianity was when you look throughout the Old Testament, there are just a sheer, the sheer number of prophecies made about Christ thousands of years beforehand that ultimately came true. And she just went deeper and deeper and in investigating and felt, okay, maybe there is something to this. One Sunday, she had a desire uh, randomly. It was, the way I see it, it was a prompting by the Holy Spirit to go to church. She went to church, sat in the front row, the message spoke to her so clearly in that moment that she gave her life to Christ right there, right then. And um, knowing her and her past and everything, you know, our family, if you know my wife and talk to her, she grew up with her and everything, it was, that was the biggest shock in the world. You know, some, you know how sometimes you, you kind of categorize like, that person, there's no way they'll ever be a Christian, but 
I'll tell you what, there is no, you never know. I, I will completely be honest with you. You absolutely never know how radically the love of God can reach people. How radically it can reach people. So uh, when that happened, she, she had to uh, make some really hard decisions at that point. She had to give up a relationship she was in at that point. She gave up smoking um, pretty much on the very first day. Uh, she just was completely freed of that, which is amazing. You hear so many stories of people who struggle with it for years. Um, that was a grace that was given to her, which was awesome. Uh, and she really just started pressing into who God was. And, and just some of the stories are absolutely incredible. I don't have uh, the time to really share all of them with you. Uh, so, so that was kind of a restoration in her that was happening. It was restoring the very being of who she was. It restored her relationship with God. But then Nate comes back in the picture. This is what's incredible. She felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to write a letter to him, uh, an email, just say, this is what has happened in my life. I would love for you to get to know the God who has radically changed me very, from the very outset. I, I want you to know who he is and I would love to get together with you and talk about it at some point. Nate, uh, after the military, he actually became a trucker. He was based down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, I don't know if you know, uh, geographically, that's not close to Washington, D.C. That's pretty far away. Uh, so Nate pretty much said to uh, Eleanor through the email, hey, like I appreciate it. I'd love to get together. Uh, however... I live really far away from you, and I'm not sure if any of my long-distance routes will ever take me up there because that's not a place we normally go. Two weeks later, Nate was in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and this is, this is what's crazy. It's the whole story. It's just incredible just how God was working things together to bring these two people back together to reconcile between them. And so they, they had a conversation, sat down, talked, and Eleanor just was... You know, she apologized to him for just the way that the relationship had broken, what she had ultimately done in running away, and she just shared her entire story to him about finding who the true Christ is and, and how that changed the very being of who she is, and that ultimately, like, she, she understood if, if we're to ever get back together, this is what our relationship needs to be founded on. It needs to be centered on Christ, and if we can't do that, then we, we should just go ahead and get a divorce. Um, and he said, okay. And Nate himself had a lot of situations, being in the military and getting out. He had a lot of um, challenges just going along with that himself. All, he just was in a really dark place. And when Eleanor came, it was almost like it was a light. It was the thing that he was looking for also. So the following day, he accepted Christ. And they continued to, to remain in conversation with each other. Um, they, they, they started reconciling their relationship, got back together. And this picture was taken just on Wednesday where they renewed their vows and, all, and got baptized together. Wow. And, so, and their entire relationship now is forever changed. The things that Eleanor had no desire for, she, she was, if you talk to her, Two years ago, even a year ago, she, would, she never wanted to have kids, never wanted children. And we were joking, like, oh, so when are the kids coming? She's like, we'll see. Like, she's, she's open to it now. 
Like the things that were complete blockages that she had no desire of having, God came in and restored those things. And that is, to me, that, that story is so powerful. It's not only just a powerful story, but when it's family, it's even more powerful. Because you get to see it with your own eyes and experience it and to walk through some of these things with them. And so I am just so excited for these two and what God has, had, has in store for both of them and just the lives that they're going to change ultimately as a result of just coming ultimately to the cross. But without the cross, none of this was possible. None of it. And this is just one story. There's hundreds of thousands of stories of people's lives who've been radically changed because of what Christ has done on the cross for every single one of them. And for every single one of us in this room as well. And so let's not forget the power that the cross has, not only just for us, but our relationship to God and our relationship with other people as well. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for for Eleanor and Nate, God, that you were doing a work behind the scenes that nobody could even comprehend, that you were in their midst, that you brought them together in a way that nothing else could. God, I thank you so much that you are in the process of restoring us, that you change our hearts completely around in ways that we never could comprehend. And God, I pray right now just for anybody who's in this room who just is feeling that emptiness, the same emptiness that maybe Eleanor or Nate felt, God, that God, I pray that you would just come in and you would fill whatever that hole is. God, in Romans, Paul says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, that's a gift that you made the first move. You came to us. God, that if we accept you, if we receive you, that we are your children. I pray that if there's anybody in this room who maybe has never accepted you, has never believed in you, God, I pray that that would happen this morning. If you're in this room and you have never done that, you have an opportunity to do that this morning. You can say something simple like this. God, I confess I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus died for me and that he has eternal life to give me. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent. I turn from them and I turn to you. God, so come into my life. Change me. Restore me. God, I want all of you. We say this in your name. Amen.